All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn, learn more about us, you can go to our website, at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162 If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 953 points or 2.8%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 137 points, or 3.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 457 points, or 4%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 7.9%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 17.5%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 29.7%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So... Back in that trading range, that two hundred, that that elusive two hundred day moving average on the S and P five hundred, you know, broke above it last Wednesday, and have come back down, in stuck in between the fifty day moving average and the two hundred day moving average. So clearly in a trading range. Well, once I, again, I, maybe they were listening to the show last week when I was just screaming about how far the Dow Jones Industrial Average was above its 200-day line. At one at one point here in the last couple of weeks, uh, the Dow was like 2,000 points above its 200-day moving average. We've cut maybe a third of that here in the week. Just it, it, we're, we're down, what, 953 points last week for the Dow, but still a tremendous quarter. Uh, the, the Dow is up 16.5% quarter to date. Uh, even with you know, the almost three percent we were down last week, and the Nas the S and P is still up almost ten percent for the quarter. The Nasdaq's, you know, in the still in the tank. You know, Nasdaq has been the the laggard this year by far, uh, up you know four point one percent for the quarter. Uh, the 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 inflation number to me was the biggest number of the week. We had producer, producer, price, producer index. price index on Friday, and mm-hmm. you know, as the day began, it was very interesting. The the market really wasn't reacting very much to the number, even though it was a little hotter than expected. I think it was what up three tenths instead of two, if uh, memory serves yeah. me correctly. It was three tenths in there, and the market and the, they were expecting uh, only two tenths of a percent increase, so it was just slightly hotter. 
than expected, and the futures turned around, you know, but they were now maybe 150 or something like that. But during, at one time during the day on Friday, we were positive on all three indexes. And then I guess all the traders decided that this want to square things up before next week's big Fed meeting, and we closed at the lows of the day, which is where I thought maybe we should have started the day down 300 in the Dow, but uh, we ended the day down 300 on the Dow. Well, and it's not only the Fed meeting next week. On Tuesday, we're going to get the Consumer Price Index, the CPI number, right in the midst of the Fed's two-day meeting. But I think, as, as we know and we talked on last weekend's show, you know, Chairman Powell came out two Wednesdays ago and said, we're going to be raising 50 basis points. So I don't know if the producer price index number that came out on Friday changed their narrative at all. I don't think it did with it being just slightly hotter. I mean, the one thing that I think we can all take away from all this data is that inflation has peaked. It is coming down, albeit very slowly. But I think at the end of the day, and as we've talked on past shows, I think the consumer is going to have to get used to the idea that we're not getting back to 2% anytime soon as far as the Fed target. And I think they, we need to start wrapping our brains around living between 3 and 4% CPI. And that sounds great, but when you're still at 6 and 7s, it seems like a long ways away. And I think that's – It takes time. That, that's that's part of the – that's the – the problem with the markets trying to handicap uh, what the Fed will do, and I can hear that voice in my head. My father's here sitting on my shoulder saying, stop talking about the Fed, Jeff, and I just can't stop. You know, it, I just it's can't been all year like the Fed, Jeff. It's been What's all year. Fed. It's been all yeah, about the Fed all year. That's right. It's been all about the Fed all year. And I was actually reading an article, and when you're talking about – and one of the bullet points of this article, we're talking about living with inflation. So some of these playbooks that are being written by these money management firms now are forecasting in the next year and, and developing in their strategies. And one of them is like, you know what? The, the topic you just talked about, we're just going to have to get used to it a little bit. And, and Well, God, on the they, fuel side, uh, I mean, on the energy side, that that's kind of a no-brainer with the current administration. We're going to have to get used to paying higher prices at the pump because there's not going to be a change to energy policy until we have a different administration in the White House. So that is – a. That is definitely a guarantee. Now, granted, the last time I filled up, it was about $3.19 for 93-octane and <clears throat> here in San Antonio. And definitely, you know, it was a relief, but it's obviously still high. But it wasn't obviously as high as it was earlier this year. But I think we're just getting a little bit of a reprieve. But I think we're going to see oil prices moving back up as we get what? into the next year. Well, that's not going to help the inflation outlook. And see, the, the the Fed's real concern is four, five, six percent. Actually, I would say more along the lines five or six percent inflation that just seems to stick. They do not want that. And so, what invariably is going to happen? I was talking, you know, talking with Dad about this uh, during the week, is that they're going to overshoot. Now, if that CPI number that comes out on Tuesday is much harder than expected, it would be a very big surprise to the market if the Fed changed and went to a 75 basis point raise because all they've been telegraphing here in the last few weeks is a 50 basis point change. So that if that CPI number is much hotter than expected and they do something the market doesn't expect, we could have a December like we had in 2018. 
And I, I y'all remember what happened oh, yes. there in that in that fourth quarter of 2018. That was a big lump of coal. Well, that was a well, huge lump of coal. Thank you. A very very exactly. huge lump of coal. The entire year was lost in that last month. But we've been dealing with a bear market all year, so we'll have to wait to see what the data is going to be. But again. It's going to be an interesting week next week, to say the least, so everyone stay tuned. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week, really I would say, you know, the biggest news from last from this past week was Friday. The producer price index came out a little bit hotter than anticipated, up three-tenths of a percent. Um, and when we're looking at the year-over-year number, let's see, year-over-year, year, uh, 7.4%. So <clears throat> still... Some hotter inflation data, as we were talking in the last segment, I think the American consumers just got to wrap their brain around living with higher inflation well, for an extended period of time. Friday, um, Friday, the consumer sentiment numbers were better than expected, though. Am I right? It was. Yeah, the consumer so, sentiment numbers were definitely, I guess it was, it was the Michigan Michigan consumer uh, sentiment. So, well, yeah, there's definitely confidence. And as I've talked at nauseum on this program, the American consumer still has a lot of excess savings. And we've talked about it before, talked about the M2 money supply. I know Jeff likes to take me to task about the credit card go. debt. No, about the, about, about the use of credit cards and the credit card debt that the consumers have. But a report came out this past week that, yes, they're using credit cards and accumulating debt on credit cards. But the amount of debt that they're accumulating compared to their credit limit is below pre-pandemic levels. So, yes, they're using credit, but I know Jeff had his counterpoint, which if you want to give that counterpoint, Jeff, of that, that two statistic things, that I heard there's about. Two, there's two things about that statistic. Number one, yes, it is true that the current, we'll call it credit utilization percentage, uh, was lower than it was pre-pandemic, uh, but it, it has been sloping up for a number of months now. Uh, the, the, the one thing about that chart that it doesn't take into account is how much of credit card companies raised consumers' credit limits. Because, you know, typically what they'll do is if, if you're a heavy user of credit cards and, you're, but, but, and, you, and you pay your bill or you make minimum payments or you make maybe a little above the minimum payment on a consistent basis, but they see you bumping up against your credit limit, they may raise your credit limit which then reduces your credit utilization. And if you expand that out amongst hundreds of thousands or millions of cardholders, that could have the effect of maybe skewing that number a little bit. Um, And I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I believe total credit card debt in dollars and cents is the highest it's ever been right now. So how does that 
you know, fit into this this thesis that the consumer is just going to keep spending ad nauseum. I mean, they can't. They can't just spend and spend and spend and spend forever. Eventually, the chickens come home to roost. Maybe the U.S. government can. Yeah, they can <laughs> yeah, do they, that. They, they seem they to have blank checks all for everything. Long. They can. They can do that. But still, we're buying their. We're buying their debt and getting four. Getting four and a quarter, four and a half percent interest rates out two years, substantially more than we were than we were getting a year ago when we were getting fractions of one percent in yields. Uh, so I get that. You know, the, everyone's talking about the strength of the consumer. Okay, okay, okay. Does any of this play positively into the Fed's plan? Does the Fed want necessarily a strong consumer? Does the Fed want a strong employment market? The Fed didn't all, want a, a strong housing all, market, right? All the Fed, and they, all the Fed. And they finished that off in a hurry this year. All the Fed just, wants is to fight inflation and bring inflation yes. down. But there, some of the they want contributing, the immaculate deflation, immaculate yes, but, deflation. But some of the contributing factors to the inflationary situation we find ourselves in as a country was not is something that the Fed can't control. The Fed can't control supply chains. The Fed can't control yeah, the I'm, wild spending I'm, and the free money being sent out by the Biden administration. But they you're not advocating. But you're not advocating that they should do nothing and, and let inflation be seven or eight percent, right? Remember. We've talked about this months and months ago on this program where I read a a couple of economists did a big research study about this saying just let the market dynamics and the market forces work themselves out and that the Fed doesn't really need to do as much intervention as they think that they need to do. And they need to just let the market forces work itself out. we got to recover from COVID. we got to get China from off their zero COVID policy. We've got to realign supply chains. Which is all taking place as, as as we speak. We got to have the government keep their hands in their pocket instead of pulling money out of their pockets and throwing it out. I mean, I read this past week. The Biden administration is thinking about extending a child tax credit to be continuing to send out more money for the for children. Now, I know that they, we have a child tax credit that's out there, but they were giving extra benefits during the pandemic, during the heights of the pandemic. We're not in a pandemic anymore. We're not even in an endemic. I, I don't even. I haven't even heard it described that way. But the Biden administration is wanting to again give out more money, and this Inflation Reduction Act. You mean the Inflation Production Act? We cannot continue. Our government cannot continue to give money out to people. There's 10.8 million jobs available. If you don't have enough money for your family, look for another job. Ask for a raise. Get out and work. Get out and start working. Because when you look at the labor participation rates at some all-time low numbers, we got a ton of working-aged Americans doing nothing. There's nothing the Fed can do about about exactly. The participation rates. So but we I, have. I want to. I want to run back forces. to something. While you got up on your soapbox for the last three minutes, I want to run it back to something <laughs> that you said about uh, this article that's saying that the we should just let the market forces take care of the market. What would have happened in 2008 if we just allowed the market forces to do that? How many, how many brokerage firms would have gone out of business? How much would stocks have gone down? You know, it was still thir- down 38%. If in the S and P in two thousand eight would have been would we have been down sixty percent? 
What about what would have happened if the Fed or the government had not intervened and what, what happened with uh, COVID in March of well, okay. 2020 when we were down 30%? The I, problem I, is the problem is, is that they kept the foot on the accelerator with all the free money and all this on too long. We know this. We know this in the rearview mirror. And what they're going to do again, this is going back to what Dad was saying to me earlier this week because, you know, guys, he's been, he's been going back to the 1970s. Yeah, he's seen this from the Fed. The Fed's going to overshoot. The Fed's going to overshoot on this tightening. We're going to we're going to talk about it in 2024. How much they overshot? The question is right now: How much further we got? Are we going to go? Are we going to go to six percent Fed funds rates by the summertime of next year? Is that what it's going to take to get a seven handle to a six handle to a five handle on producer prices? That's the big question. That's what all of us, not just us, all the people on Wall Street are trying to handicap in right now and get positioned for next year is how far are they going to go with this? Because if they go to the 6% Fed funds rate, if it really goes that far, I just don't think it's going to be really great for stocks. I just don't think that's a good thing for stocks, especially the growth names. But still, okay, go ahead, Joe. To Jeff's point, I can't remember if it was a month or two ago when Powell was talking about about this this continuing restrictive policy, and he said he was not not overly worried about overshooting because he he thinks that they can go ahead and they can loosen up and they can pivot. And so he's not really overly concerned about that. Maybe I'm incorrect, but he I, I know for a fact he mentioned that it, it may have been a month and a half or two months ago when he talked about that. I Were think you talking the back about the Jackson, the Jackson yeah, Hole speech? Yeah, Jackson Hole. Basically, he's mm-hmm. saying, okay, if I overshoot, we overshoot a little bit, then we have the tools in place to, to, to remedy that situation. But, but how know, many months are going to have to go? I mean, they can't raise it one month. And yeah. then cut it the next month. That's probably not going to happen unless there's some sort of extraneous, you know, geopolitical event that causes them to need to do that. Or there's another worldwide pandemic that none of us have, you know, know about yet. So they'll, they'll stop raising rates in the first or second quarter of next year, and then they're going to sit on their hands. And that's what they've said. But what is, what's that terminal rate? You know, how much farther do they have to go? With a PPI with a seven handle, if we get a CPI next week with a seven handle, they're just going to keep going. Yeah, they're going to keep going until they get some satisfaction. And I don't. And, and for them, you know, what does it have to be? Does it have to be a five handle? I don't That's know. Well, I, I, I mean, as we've talked on ad nauseum on this program, their two percent mandate—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're out of their mind. No, they're out of their mind. And where they came up with that two percent, it needs to be three, three and a half. Move it to four percent as their mandate, and then that will give them cover to to finally bring the plane in for a landing, and not raise rates anymore, and allow time to pass from all the intervention that they have that they have placed in the market and once they finally get to that terminal rate of pause then we can get everything repriced in the market particularly on the growth side of 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 the of the stock market so you know there's so many different trains of thoughts we're hearing about it constantly from all these different camps there is no consensus right now on wall street period each 
opinion is different of what the future holds for the market. So let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, before we went to commercial break, just talking about all the different thought processes that are going on in the financial entertainment press. I mean, from one analyst to the next, from one portfolio manager to the next, everyone has different different opinions. I mean, even here on the MoneyWise program, we have different opinions amongst us as portfolio managers of what the potential future holds as far as the Fed's process and how far they're going to be going with interest rates. Are we going to be going into a deep, dark recession? Is it going to be a mild recession? Are we going to have no recession? What are earnings growth going to look like, you know, next year? In fact, just this past week, a a survey of mutual fund managers, they came out with a consensus earnings growth prediction for 2023. And I was quite shocked by the number, Joe. I don't know if you were shocked, but, or Jeff, 10.3% 10.3% earnings growth from this mutual fund manager survey. I was quite surprised. I thought that, I mean, I'm a bullish guy. That's even outside of my ballpark as far as earning growth projections for next year. Who but that was these, the consensus. Who are these mutual fund managers? Are these, not, are these mutual fund managers in the bottom quartile of their respective mutual fund? They did the same. They, they were anonymous. They were, I mean, they were anonymous. Speaking yeah. of mutual funds, speaking of mutual funds, I don't know if you guys caught this yesterday, but Fidelity and several of some of their biggest growth funds, they're sending out letters to their customers to ask them if they can get approval to be able to increase allocation position sizes in Apple and Microsoft and Google, some of the huge big mega te- mega cap tech names that have all gotten hit this year. It's almost very similar to like what T. Rowe Price did as far as how when they, we don't own the fund anymore, but the blue chip growth fund, when we got that letter and they were asking about, or they were advising us that they're going to a more concentrated portfolio. Well, Fidelity is now looking to do the same thing in some of their funds. And I believe the Contra fund was one of them on the list. Well, a lot of it, it's, we always talk about not owning more than 5% anyone stock. And so essentially they're saying they want to own more than 5% Correct. in their portfolios. That's what they're talking about. And, uh, and candidly, a lot of these growth funds, I mean, and Jeff and I and Kyle at the beginning of the year, did a pretty deep dive in analysis. A lot a lot of them are sitting with six, seven, eight percent positions. A lot of them are in Amazon or Apple or Microsoft at the beginning of the or year, Google, or Google so, or so, Facebook. Book so just based over that, just based over that, if they didn't sell, then you know those positions are now back below five percent. But but the fact but the fact that but the fact that they're having to send these letters out to get more concentrated and this kind of again goes to Joe. You kind of mentioned a rule that we have to pass along to any listener who's 
kind of a, 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 a home player when it comes to managing their own money is to never have more than 5% of your total investable net worth in any one individual stock. Now, you can own more than 5% in an exchange-traded fund or a mutual fund or an index fund, but as far as an individual company, that is a hard and fast rule that we have been following for 34 years at Davidson Capital Management, and we recommend that same rule be followed by every listener and every investor around the world. No more than 5% in any one individual company stock, period. And so Fidelity is looking to get more concentrated in some of these big mega cap names. Because one of the big, I guess, trends, at least for this year, you know, obviously we diversified away from single stock risk at the very first day of of the new year. Took some profits, you know, in retrospect, should have taken even more profits in the first quarter. But no one ever thinks that you're going to be going into a deep, dark, nasty bear market uh, because they are so rare going back to 1929. And so we stayed with this diversifying away from single stock risk, being more core focused, value focused, having less growth exposure. And so all these analysts and portfolio managers. There are these two camps. You know, Joe, you put out an article that came out of, from BlackRock saying stay away from growth. And and I don't think that that is exactly wise advice. As we've talked on past programs, taking more of a barbell approach in your portfolio, it's all about having a proper balance, value exposure, some growth exposure, GARP or growth at a reasonable price. It's also called a core position. And for our portfolios, we're definitely much more concentrated in core positions in our portfolios, leaning to value, but we haven't completely eliminated growth from our portfolio. I just don't think that's a wise strategy. And so when we're seeing some of these big analysts, these big money management firms coming out saying, just avoid growth at all costs, I just don't think that that's sound or prudent advice. Well, I think I think if you're looking at next year and you're developing a playbook and you're looking at your portfolio, it, everything in moderation and having a balanced approach or a barbell approach, or, or if you look at your portfolio, not having too much growth, not not being overweight growth, not being overweight value. It, it, nobody can handicap this market. You can't handicap the Fed, so you're going to be able to have to be able to pivot. And, and you're not going to be able to make big bets on on particular sectors, you know, especially if you're in retirement or close to retirement and you need a, a very stable income stream coming out of your portfolio. You, you, you have to, and you have to be pretty active and you have to be ready to pivot going into next year. Well, I, mean, well, it, I, I will say, ahead, can I say something? Yeah. And Joe had said, you know, you, you can't, it's very you can't really handicap this market. I, I agree with that to a certain extent. There was plenty of writing on the wall at the beginning of the year of asset classes you should not have been in. You should not have been in long maturity bonds. I mean, you talk about an well, yes. obvious place not to have money. You still have money in that. Why did your advisor not make that change? I mean, it was so it couldn't have been any clear that the Federal Reserve was going to be raising interest rates this year, and that long maturity bonds would get taken out to the woodshed and beat every which way but loose. Well, what, 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 you know, another thing that was pretty obvious this year is that growth stocks were probably going to be suffering. And did we or a lot, you know, we didn't eliminate growth completely out of our portfolio, but we definitely cut back on it. The problem oh, is if you, have, if you have an advisor that did nothing 
in the portfolio, didn't cut back on growth in any way, didn't get out of bonds in any way, didn't attempt to do anything in your portfolio to try to like, like take advantage of higher interest rates by buying some you know government bonds here at the you know here in the last few months and getting interest you know getting getting returns we haven't seen in the last 17 years the vast majority of legacy distribution system portfolios are passive and passive kills in a in a down market it just kills it well, underperforms it- and to add to that, Jeff, just this past week, I, I read a lot in Market Watch, and they have readers that will write in to some of their kind of their in-house uh, financial experts. And I have read so many stories over the past few weeks. My advisor has done nothing. Should I continue to be with them? <laughs> and, and and it just blows my mind. And it goes right back to we've talked about that on this program that this passive strategy that the big, well-known uh, household name firms do. They use computers to create asset allocations based on Monte Carlo analysis or modern portfolio theory. They have their proprietary relationships with the security provider, be it an ETF, exchange-traded fund, or a mutual fund. They set it, and they forget it. I mean, we've no, they seen rebalance that. It. They set oh, it, they, they rebalance it periodically. Jeff, and and they, they call that management. Rebalancing is not management. No, rebalancing is just a proper strategy to use throughout the year, and it can't really be set on any calendar. I mean, we're constantly looking through our portfolios where we can scrape profits or where we need to to do some tax loss harvesting, which we still need to complete that before the end of the year for our taxable taxable clients. But for the new clients that have come into Davidson Capital Management this year, you know, just looking at at some of their portfolios where they're down 20, 20 plus percent, and they have less than a 50% allocation of the stock market because their bond portfolio was so ill-conceived. It was so ill-conceived and unmanaged that these higher interest rates that we're all facing, just like you said, Jeff, just absolutely walloped. Their performance, and it's very rare to see a 50-50 allocation being down, you know, over 20%, and it's well, because of improper management. It's because, of bonds. It's because, it's because of, of bonds this year. That's right. This, is, this year has been so unusual. You know, it's a once every – we hadn't had this happen. 90, in, 90 this years. Extent, well, 90 years. Okay. The combined stock say, damn bonds market. Say, yeah. yeah, but in terms of just the bond market itself, we had a bond market this bad since the early 1970s. So this year there was the only place to hide was cash. That's it. Cash, cash is 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 going to be the best place for you to have been this year, other than stocks and bonds or you know ultra short government bonds that you kept rolling. That would have been another place to be. Which we did do some of that here in the last half of the year. We've since reinvested some of that some of that money. Uh, into longer maturity bonds, and we'll probably do so again next week after the Federal Reserve meeting when they're going to raise interest rates again. I just – do you really think – do you are you going to go back down again after they raise the Fed funds rate again? We have not had this big of an inversion in the 10-year the versus 2-year yield. I remember seeing that statistic uh, a few days ago. It was on Wednesday. They were talking about it. It's just, it's, it's crazy how big the inversion has got. And that's an indication of, of a looming recession. I will stop there. 
All right, we'll take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, and I wanted to use this last segment to talk about a couple of different things. You know, first off, you know, what you should be doing in your portfolio, but something just kind of stories from our client base. And I know, Jeff, you ran into this. I ran into this this past week where I got a call from a client here in San Antonio that was accumulating uh, an excess level of cash, was having it sitting in his checking account at a, uh, at, at a, at a large banking institution, and was obviously concerned that he wasn't really getting any kind of rate of return. Now, granted, it wasn't a checking account, and so he was looking at some other accounts, savings accounts, whatnot, that the bank had available to him. But even those accounts that they were offering him were at rates that were significantly lower than the position-traded money market positions that we have in our portfolios because I know this past week our position-traded money market account was paying over three and a quarter, three and three-quarters percent. And it's liquid within one day. So needless to say, he wanted to get that money into his account. And I did hear this story on CNBC where a lot of these money center banks are still, you know, banks are very quick to charge their customers a higher interest rate for their bottom line. But when interest rates start moving higher, they're very slow to raise the interest rates that they pay their clients. And so when you look at different position traded money markets, they're paying higher than CD rates and they're liquid within a day. And so for all of our listeners, if you're sitting on a high level of cash, take advantage of these higher interest rates. You know, if we're having to deal with higher monetary inflation as consumers, at least have your idle cash be working harder for you. Don't let it be potato, you know, couch potato money, as Jeff used to lazy. say. Don't let it be lazy, lazy money. I yeah, mean, don't let it be lazy. You're seeing rates on money market accounts that we haven't seen in ten years. Uh, so no, more than ten money, years. That's money market accounts and brokerage, not mm-hmm. at the bank. Not at, not bank bank, the total, bank yeah. has their money market banking account that is not uh, the same as a brokerage. Uh, money market account. I mean, and there, right. and there are various flavors too. Of mm-hmm. there's 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 money markets where it's just this automatic sweep that every brokerage account has, or every IRA account, every Roth IRA. The any any dividends, any interest that gets paid in the portfolio, it's swept into this money market account. We're talking about a different type of money market that trades like a mutual fund, but it's just as safe. But it has higher returning uh, assets in it, so you're going to earn higher levels of income owning it. And as of Friday's close, the position-traded money market fund we use with our custodian has a seven-day yield, which is an annualized yield, 3.81%. So if you're sitting there with $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 sitting in cash in a checking account or a savings account at your local bank, 
and it's not making more than 3% interest, you need to really start thinking, should I, I need to really be putting this money to work. Don't let it be lazy. Take advantage of these higher interest rates. And that was, again, to Joe's article that he found. Was it out of CNBC, Joe, this past week or two? Well, I I subscribe to CNBC Pro. Pay a little bit of a premium for that. But bullet port number one was worker cash and then buying bonds, paying attention to bonds, and using short-term debt instruments to get ahead of the game. I mean, going into next year, you need to evaluate that. And on Friday's Wall Street Journal, B1, First page of the, of the B section, title of the article, Depositors Stick with Banks Despite Low Rates. I think a lot of that is just is people are just, they're, for lack of a better word, they're just not, you know, they're not keeping their eye on the ball. If you want to call it lazy, that's fine. You can call it lazy. But don't, don't let that idle cash be lazy. Another thing, you know, I say I still hear this, and I think it's probably really true in, in this particular environment. Yeah, you know, there's folks that say, well, I need to have money set aside for an emergency. It's like, okay, how much money you have set aside for an emergency? 300000 And I said, what kind of emergency necessitates a $300,000 emergency fund? What they're really saying is they're just scared to death of the market. It's not really about emergency fund. They're just scared to death. But and there's other solutions. The 300000 is just... But just one number. I, I've heard numbers higher than that. But if you've got it sitting in a bank checking account, those banks are making a hand over fist money because they're out there investing it at three, three and a half, four percent, or loaning you, it, and paying, you're loaning it at much higher rates and paying you this little pittance. Remember, yeah. banks are going to be very slow to raise depositor rates in a rising interest rate environment. They're going to be very quick to raise their rates for loans. They're going to be extremely slow on the deposit side. For any listener that finds themselves in that position where they're terrified of the stock market and the volatility and they have excess levels of cash sitting at local banks, there are other solutions. There are other solutions we've already talked about on this program. There's position-traded money market accounts at brokerage firms. There are short-term bonds. You know, one-year government bond, two-year government bonds, three-year government bonds that have zero risk. Remember, government bonds is the only riskless investment in the world other than cash in your hand. So it is the riskless rate of return, and we're getting riskless rates of return right now in our short-term government bond portfolio over 4% yield to maturities. So don't let your cash be lazy. You don't necessarily have to be involved in the stock market to put your money to work in this interest rate environment. You know, so keep that in mind. And from a portfolio standpoint, you know, just wanted to give a couple technicals for any of our technical home gamers. I would say that the line in the sand on the support level for the S&P is right at 3,900. Um, so we're holding above that line right now. Hopefully we can keep that as the support level, but we have big day on Tuesday with the consumer price index coming out. And then the very following day, Chairman Powell, the FOMC makes decisions on rates. I think you could take it to take it to Vegas. It's going to be 50 basis points or a half of 1% that they're going to be increasing rates. And we'll see if we're going to get kind of a second half of the month Santa Claus rally, but it's going to, I think, really going to be data dependent on what's coming out on Tuesday. I, I think I Tuesday think. is going to set the tone for the rest of the year. Don't you? Exactly. Jeff? Exactly. Yep. I, we can all agree that, on that. 
We all agree wholeheartedly on that. It has to be it has to be more than one tenth of a percent better. It's got to be multiple tenths of a percent better. And if it's not, I mean, we're still today uh, on Friday. We're over a thousand points above the 200-day moving average on the Dow. I think we're a little we're we're in and around the 200-day line on the SP. I think the Dow would be the most at risk for uh, for a larger percentage decline rather than necessarily the other indexes. But so it's going to be edge of your seats week again, ladies and gentlemen, for sure. But but we'll be back in the Money Wise Studio next week to decipher and break down all the news from this week coming up. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of our break, so we'll take the break going to the news. When we come back from the news, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, so stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education and just again the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices the multitude of sales outlets i should say uh to be buying different financial products um we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to to continue to provide that that education and there is an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the the title of the article is The Best Investment Advice Ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used from day one. And, of course, with us, uh, you know, being in this, having Davidson Capital Management for more than 25 years. And, and again, this radio show going on now in our 10th year. 
um, looking at at rule number one for the best investment advice ever, and that first rule is never lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And I believe that uh, that was one of Warren Buffett's famous advice. And of course, Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good. It's good words to live by. And and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one the one area again of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up; it's how shallow. You keep your hole on the downside. It's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio. Rule This rule number one, don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money? Well, and, and, and again, investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses. Uh, maybe rule number one should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket. Never But, put, but define never, that. Okay. Define that a little okay. bit more, okay, eggs in one basket. Never put 100% of your money in one asset class. How's that? Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class. Like, are Never. you talking sector specific, like no. all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no, no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot whole of money, shallow. keeping the whole shallow, as you were saying, and 2008 is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never 100 percent invested in stocks that year, and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on, and so we 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 didn't suffer the 35 our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the 35 40. 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly, obviously. That's, that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, and again, that set it and forget it mentality that set and forget it portfolio so the the rule number one this never lose money and rule number two never forget rule number one is all fine and good but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds cash and all different types of asset classes some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year some will uh, some will be more successful than others, but I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if you, if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. 
Which means you're, yeah, which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. I, sorry to take your your thunder away there. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market, when you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets because there's fewer and fewer participants because they still have not gotten back in because they're still licking and, and taking care of their wounds from 2008 because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Uh, because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what, we were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been that, saying this f- that, as long that, as that, I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I, I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I, I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from from, from Will Rogers. He never met a man he didn't like. And and and, and what th- this means, you know, this is you know this will be my 37th year starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school, so you can add all that up. But when I see this, what this really means to me is never lose big money, never take big losses because you can't come back from them. 
whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part, part of this. Um, a lot of people get in investing. They get in the game, as Jim Cramer calls it. It's not a game. But they get in the game, and they have some moderate success, and then they start building their bet. They start pushing pushing the chips and further as they and build their bet, they will get to the point where they lose. Now, to be successful, the one thing that I have learned in my 37-plus years, to be successful in investing, you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while. And, if, and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell. I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And, and, and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot-com bubble burst, bursting of the, of the dot-coms, um, is that when, cert- when the markets and times just don't make sense, when what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that it's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness, but in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off in the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsawish. And sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one, this is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So you were losing, <laughs> losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But What this really says is what y'all were talking about, is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. So, but, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are, if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game. And so, 
each individual has to decide what type of, is he a trader? Am I an investor? Or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So there's various pools that you could be doing. But one thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever methods you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long term, absolutely. And and, and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park and that boosts their confidence. That helps them boost their their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips. Then they strike out. Then they take that loss, and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market. I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I, I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying, I found that that was more successful. And I learned that as a broker. I, I, I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action. Because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action, if you like to bet on football games. with If you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. It's very 4 and 5% returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. 
Um, and that's, again, something else that we that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action. Fast money. Fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm -hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in or would feel comfortable being in. And so when we sit here and we talk about what we see, we don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break and we come back. We'll be continuing our investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager, or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I, I, I don't agree with it. Dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close if you only got five. Uh, <laughs> you're making, uh, you're mean, making big bets in, in on the, five in the, companies. In the, beginning, in the beginning, when I created uh, the philosophy, uh, it became apparent to me that I didn't ever want more than five percent in anything because i learned very quickly that if i bought five percent uh, of your assets in one individual well, position yes if i bought 10 positions 3.5 of them were going to be losers but i loved all 10 mm-hmm. and so when i got it out to 20 then i'm going to have six losers in normal markets mm-hmm. and the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits that were in the other 14. Well, if I'm Jim Cramer and five is my diversification, I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five 
those whole five positions would be losers. So to me, that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to crash do average. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-mm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. For, well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. Now, he used to do radio and TV, and his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does, and he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work. Through your 401k. Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I worked for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nesting and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to Enron it harkens back to WorldCom I mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper level management to buy keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing but you always have to look out for kind of number one i mean you have to look out for number one when you're saving for retirement and you know another thing that i like to teach particularly when it comes to long-term investing and when it comes to performance I always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average, like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame with having a great lifetime batting average, but throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform where they don't have a good year at the uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well 
and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average, and it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below average years. You're going to have some just average years, and you're going to have some great years. But the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. 25, this is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy. And I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't, there were fixed income people and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid. You didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. You might not have had enough course to, to, to have a meal. Well, and, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how, again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for, and we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom-and-pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. If we taxed day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if we taxed high-frequency trading or got high-frequency well, trading under control. That's, that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is, is that high-frequency trading is paying the note 
for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit you exchange. You guys will see that. I'm, I'm convinced. You think Jeff and I will see a nonprofit I really think exchange you, I really think you in our career. That in your lifetime, you will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high-frequency yes. trading. I, I, and I, it'll, be I welcome, it'll be somewhere in the central part of the country away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct you. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so it's only about ten, less than 10, 10 years. years in there. All right, well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin, and and one of them is, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late 2005 was because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just uh, there's such a lack of education out there and it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent you know it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh, financial legacy distribution system you know as we like to call it it always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another and we're trying to provide unbiased education and as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a, a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is. And there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you. And utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand it, then you're probably it's not a good idea to buy. Um Another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And, boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with – we see this a lot with annuities – uh, 
annuities, I think, are probably one of the biggest drains. challenges. <laughs> I would say drains on, know, on the, assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance because the fees and expenses built into the 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 annuity itself even if it has the best possible investment options and trust me the average annuity does not have the best the best uh investment choices possible when you add up average investment choices with high expenses you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year and they're still sold they're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day and we've in the 10 years that we've done this show we've almost made this our personal uh, mission, mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal mission. To, to, crusade. To, yeah, I like that. To steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, av- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself. They you know, a minimum, you know, anywhere from two to three percent to as almost as much as six percent uh is very common in an upfront sales charge. Another thing is buying stocks. You know, just buying stocks through a full service broker. And you're you're the average ticket price that I see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase. And that is outrageous. So you know, for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean, that's 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 a that's sort twenty it's times egregious. more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a, at a discount brokerage firm. Yes, well, you better well, be getting good advice if well, you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, now, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing, again, talking about fees and, and what I, I like to, to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, where non-traded real estate investment trusts, uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your from your annuity, that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. 
And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually well, they're, spending. Well, they're going to focus on... These guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the yeah, they're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life? Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself yeah, before number, you make that Number one, decision. be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research. Dig deeper, as you say. And number three, have a, always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.